0: Let me pray for our brother Walford as he comes. Our Father, we would ask this morning that you would come in the power of your spirit and use Walford to open your word and minister deeply to us that your kingdom would be advanced here at Orangewood and around the world. In your matchless name, amen. Amen. God is good all the time. Pastor Jeff Jakes doesn't know that his soloist is is leaving with me when I leave town. What a powerful song. Don't say never, brother. (laughs) I'm I'm doing things that I said to the Lord. if, If you want me to do this, you have to write it in the sky. And don't believe, don't believe all that you hear about retirement. It's not all that it's cracked up to be. You plan your life and you think you're going to do one thing and the Lord says, "Uh, by the way, here is what I have in mind for you. And if you believe in the words of the song that was just sung to us, which says, lead me to the cross, I belong to you. Then, at those times when God commands, the only appropriate response is to click your heels, come to attention, salute smartly, and say, Aye, aye, amen, so shall it be. For when God commands, the only response that is acceptable to God is that we obey. And we sing these hymns and we sing these songs and they're enjoyable to listen to. The question is, do we mean it? Do we really mean this morning that when we look at the cross and all that it means, that we are ready to follow Jesus? going to be running all over the Bible, so I'm going to read two passages of Scripture as two. To lift high the cross. In John 19 and 17, the word of God says, "And he, Jesus, bearing his cross." Went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, there the crucified Him. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore we also. before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our Father, it is very difficult for me this morning to talk about an occasion that means so much to my own heart and to you and to everyone in this church who names the name of Christ and those around the world. We thank you for Jesus and we thank you that he was willing to go to the cross. We pray now that you will quiet our hearts and bring to our minds and to our wills the truth and the significance of the cross of Christ that we indeed might desire this day and always to lift up the cross of Christ. Father, this is what we pray for this morning in his worthy and precious name and for your glory. Amen. Haiti is an interesting country. It is a country of extremes where the rich and the poor live side by side. It is often said that Haiti is a poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Dr. Vincent Miller, Professor of Geography and Community Development, who studied Haiti before we started our Project Ebenezer, concluded that Haiti is a poorest country in the world. For while Bangladesh is poor, they have resources, natural resources that are inadequately distributed. In Haiti, there are no natural resources. When you look in the distance at Haiti, you can see the hillside looking white. It is not snow. It has been scarred by erosion. And when it rains and you're walking in Port-au-Prince, you're walking in streets that are covered with mud. Haitians not only do not have one meal a day, Haitians do not eat every day. Because some days are not eating day. Because they're so poor. The average Haitian man would walk for two hours in search of work. And if he's fortunate enough to find it, he gets two dollars for his effort. And then he has to walk back for two more hours to get back to his house with a straw mattress that is unrolled on the floor of his mud hut. That's Haiti. On the other hand, if we were in Cote Plage this morning at 6.30, there would be 1,500 people in that church worshipping and singing the glories of God because of Embrace the Cross. And 500 persons will be outside who can't get in. At 11 o'clock in that same church in Port-au-Prince, in Plage, there would be another 1,500 persons worshiping God, another 200 outside who can't get in. Haitians don't look at the clock when they come to church. They have no television to distract them. They have no books to read. And oftentimes, No houses to go to. They come half an hour before the service is scheduled to begin, and they spontaneously begin to worship God by singing. And I want you to know that as wonderful as the people of Orangewood can sing, and you all are wonderful here, I enjoy coming to this church to worship, to listen to you sing. But I tell you, Haitians seem to have a special thing about singing. I've heard some songs that have been so deeply emotional that I could hardly stand it. Without accompaniment, I heard a Haitian choir singing Handel's Messiah without any music. That's Haiti. One time I was in a church in Port-au-Prince. And every seat was taken, and the people were standing in the aisle, and people were pushing through the doors trying to get in to see the man who had come to preach the word of God to them. And I found myself standing there, thinking to myself, "You have nothing to tell these people. You should sit down and let them preach to you. Let them tell you about their commitment to the cross of Christ. Let them tell you how they've embraced the cross. Let them tell you how they've embraced." the truth concerning the cross of Christ and how they are lifting up that cross. I was tired and weary. See why they don't invite me more than once every three years? I was tired and weary. I've just started to preach my introduction And my wife took me to a cruise. She wanted to get me to herself. Now, those of you who don't know anything about cruising, Katie, and you want to get away with him, take him. You have him all by yourself. You see him every day. You turn around, you see him. You go to bed, you see him. You wake up, he is there. You go to eat, you see him. You find him everywhere, every day. And my wife wanted that because she couldn't find her husband who was retired and is supposed to be sitting on a rocking chair. She can't find him. So she said, let me take you to a cruise, honey. You're tired, you're worn out. So we went to a cruise. I chose the islands in the Caribbean. We have had evangelistic crusades. So we didn't go far. We got on the ship in Barbados and we went to some of the islands in St. Thomas, and Puerto Rico, and Dominica, all of these islands in which I've had crusades, preaching in search of the riches of Christ. On the twelfth, the night of the twelfth, was the roughest night in the ship. We felt the movement of the sea. Sloshing. All of the other times it was absolutely calm. And the night of the 12th, there was movement of the water. The water was unsteady. The ship was rocking because at that moment, unbeknownst to us, Haiti was experiencing the greatest tragedy that country had ever experienced. We did not look at the television, so we knew nothing about it. Until finally, on the following day when we were getting off the ship, a friend said to us, have you heard what has taken place in Haiti? And I said, no, I haven't heard. And then we looked at the television and we read the newspapers and we called the office and we called our friends and they said, Port-au-Prince is no more. Three million people in a matter of minutes lost their homes, lost their clothes, lost their pots and their pans, many of them lost their lives, and people have said to me, Walford, Why would God allow something like this to happen to Haiti? I have no answers, just in case your ears were perked up listening for the answer that I would give. I have no answer. I know this. That my God is sovereign. And I know this that my God is good. And when we cannot explain it, and when we cannot figure it out, we rest in that truth. Oh God, we do not understand. We don't even like it, but we know that you are good, and that you delight to bring triumph out of tragedy. Myra, a white American lady, is shopping in a supermarket. She felt the shaking, she heard the rumbling. She started to run for the door. On her way to the door, the, ma- the supermarket was collapsing. Jungs of, 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 of concrete knocked her to the ground and pinned her on her knees on the ground. There was darkness everywhere. She felt around us. And in a word, she said, it was as if someone had put a tent over me. I began to call to the others and I could hear voices and they could hear mine. I tried to move, but I could not move because I was pinned by my knees to the ground. For five days, she was in a kneeling position. With thousands of pounds of concrete on her feet. 108 hours before she was rescued. And then the reporter said to her, You were on your knees all this time? Yes, she said, I could not move. She said, I was speaking to some who are alive. And I heard their voices. And after a while, she said their voices one by one. get silent. And the reporter said to her, that must have been very painful. Oh yes, she said, the pain was Excruciating. And then he said to her, What kept you from going crazy? And Myra said this, My faith in Jesus Christ. She and her knees in that supermarket was lifting up the cross of Christ. Glory to God and millions around the world saw a Haitian woman trapped in a supermarket but giving praise to God and lifting up the cross and saying, because of the cross, I did not despair. Because of the cross, I had hope. A topic in which I'm asked to preach on this morning Requires not half an hour Or 35 minutes which I'm given It requires a month The cross of Christ How do we lift up the cross? This significant event in the history of mankind This culmination Of the purpose of God from the time Adam fell. God had this in mind even before that. Because the scripture says that Jesus Christ was crucified. That Jesus Christ was offered up as a sacrifice before time began. We lift up the cross, my brothers and sisters, this morning when we make it the central focus of our lives. We lift up the cross when we embrace its significance. We lift up the cross when we understand and appreciate all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ on a cross. I'm using an acrostic to get a cross to you some quick ideas about the cross of Christ. Tonight, God willing, I will preach in the love of God for a lost humanity, lift up the cross of Christ, the love of Christ, proclaim. Till all the world adore his sacred name, his matchless name, his adorable name, his wonderful name, until we gather in worship, not only by ourselves, but the multitudes around the world to whom we have been privileged to share the good news of the gospel that come to adore Christ, to magnify Christ, to sing his praises. For as someone has said, worship does not take place unless God is revered and enjoyed. So here's my acrostic for this morning. The cross, C-R-O-S-S. The cross of Christ speaks, first of all, of condemnation of all humanity. The cross of Christ speaks of the righteousness of a holy God. The cross of Christ speaks of obedience of Christ. The cross of Christ speaks of the sacrifice of our Savior for the lost. And the cross of Christ speaks of the salvation which he purchased by his death on the cross. Scripture teaches, beloved, this morning that all men are unrighteous and slaves to sin. Francis Schaeffer puts it this way. He said, man who was made in the image of God, not programmed, chose to go his own independent way so that man became what he was not. And man as he is now is not man as he always was. For there has been a space-time historic change in man. Man who was made in the image of God rebelled against God. Sometimes sociologists speak of man as being the product of their social environment. Scripture says that man is not trapped in his environment. This is not just a little slip. This is not egotism. This is full-blown rebellion against the will of a holy God. The Bible calls that sin. So something came into the life of man that was not there when God, the Father, and God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, made man in their image. Let us make man in our image, says God. And something came in, something intervened, which we call sin. Now some divine sin, as... Evolutionary overhang. It's things that we carry over from our animal past. Some psychologist says that sin is misguided impulses. If you could only channel them correctly, you'd be all right. The scripture says that sin is rebellion against God. Is man deciding that he has a better way than God has for the destiny of his own life. Understand? So that all men are sinners. The scripture says, wherefore, by one man sin came into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Paul looking at man says in the book of Romans that there is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. In their throat, that throat is an open sepulcher. And he concludes, for all have sinned and are constantly falling short of the glory, the standard which God has set for man. Now, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, I want you to know, as far as God is concerned, your sins have alienated you from Him. He loves you. But your sins, says scripture, has separated you from your God. So that this God will not hear us unless we come to the cross of Christ. And we lift up that cross and see in that cross salvation and deliverance and reconciliation for us all. Where are you this morning? You see, the scripture says that the Gentiles are guilty, Romans chapter 1. Because when God revealed Himself in nature, they did not worship Him as God. And therefore they're guilty. They're guilty because they did not live up to the standard of the truth that they knew. Oftentimes people would say, Well, what about the heathen man who has never heard? What about him? How could God judge him? How could God send this person to an eternal destiny apart from him? How could God do that? Well, as Paul Little used to say, let's just ask him. Did you live up to the standard that you knew about? Because in all human beings, as far as you can go back in history, there is what is called a sense of oughtness in man. This ought to be right and that ought to be wrong. And man, because of his fallen nature, because of his rebelliousness, does not live up to the oughtness that he knows. Why? Because he's a sinner. And you say, what about the Jews? They were given the law and they did not keep it. They used the law to preen themselves of their privileged position as the people of God when God intended them to obey the law, and therefore scripture says in Romans that the Jews are also guilty, they're all guilty before Almighty God. Gentiles are guilty, the Jews are guilty, we're all guilty. Shakespeare, it was who said in Merchant of Venice If justice is the plea, remember this, that in the course of justice, none of us shall see salvation. We plead for mercy. That's where the cross comes in. At the cross, God intervened in the affairs of men to offer his son a sacrifice for sin. And so the cross speaks of the condemnation, the condition of all human beings on planet earth. Because that's why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross Because there was no other way by which sinful men can come to a holy God. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians puts it this way. He says, once we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the lust of the flesh, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, the cross speaks And speaks eloquently, unambiguously of the condemnation of every human being. Every mouth is silent. Every heart is stopped before Almighty God as we look at ourselves and we say, I am guilty. I am sinful. We sin by the things we do, we sin by the things we fail to do, we sin by our words. We sin by our actions, and we sin by our thoughts. The story is told of a man who worked as a stable hand. And his boss realized that he had fallen in love, particularly with a special horse. And this man was impressing. He was one of those Christians who was telling his boss that he could live one day, one full day, without even sinning. Now let me see the hands of those of you who identify with him. You know, hands? Pastor, you have a problem in this church. So his boss said to him, You know what? I'm going to ask you to spend one day with your favorite horse. And if you can really tell me that you did not sin during that one day, I'll give you that horse that you love. So the man thought, This is a deal. Sure, I can spend 24 hours, especially with my favorite horse, in a stable. Not with television, that will probably tempt me. Not with friends, that will probably test me. Not with my boss or with my secretary. I'm going to be alone with my favorite animal. And so he spent the day grooming the horse and thinking of the time when he will be able to call this horse his very own. At the end of the time, his boss said to him, well, did you sin? He said, no, I didn't. And his boss said, well, you can have the horse. And then the boss said, by the way, tell me, what were you thinking while you were there all of that time for that 24 hours? And the man smiled. And he said, well, you know, I was thinking that in as much as you're giving me the horse, you could probably give me the saddle too. Thou covetous man, says his boss, leave my horse. We sin not only by the things we do and say, we sin by the things we think. That's why there is need for a cross. That's why we need to lift up the cross, because without the cross there is no hope. For mankind. Without the cross, man is alienated forever from God. Without the cross, there is no joy. Without the cross, there is no peace. Without the cross, there is no pardon. Without the cross, there is no power. But the cross speaks not only of condemnation. And we have to hurry here. The cross demonstrates... The righteousness of a holy God. You see, there is a sense in which God was caught in a dilemma when man sinned. Now, when I was teaching high school, I taught zoology in high school many years ago. Don't ask me how long. You'll be able to figure the math out and know how old I am. I'll tell you if you ask me nicely. But something had happened to the son of a high-ranking civil servant and one of the teachers. And so the headmaster was called by this high-ranking civil servant to explain why his son was being punished. And the headmaster said in our presence, he said, you know, I saw the whole thing. He said, I wish I hadn't seen it. Then I'd be able to give an excuse When man sinned, God saw his rebelliousness. And God, because he is absolutely righteous, because he's absolutely holy, couldn't just turn his back on sin. God could not have said, well, you know, that is just a little slip. I'll forgive him. That's what we as humans do. We grade on the curve. And we say, well, that was not too bad. Perhaps he was having a bad day. Perhaps she was having a bad day. That's not too bad. We'll let him go. We'll let it slip. I'll pretend I didn't see it. God cannot do that, my friends. You see, God is not sinless. God is perfect. Sinlessness presupposes the possibility of sin, and God cannot sin. God cannot be party to anything that is wrong. He is absolutely holy. He is absolutely sovereign. He is absolutely righteous. A purer eyes said the Scripture than to behold evil. And the cross is a demonstration of the righteousness of a holy. God, But the cross is also a display of obedience of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Scripture said of Jesus that he, though he were a son, learned obedience by the things which he suffered. I don't understand that. We see Jesus, who has made a little law than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he might taste death for every man. Jesus, the one who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, The one who is the very God. Scripture says that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That he made himself of new reputation. That he took upon himself the form of flesh. That he became like unto men. And that he humbled himself even to the death of the cross. So Jesus did for us. The one who by the word of his power brought the wood and the nails into existence, he subjected himself to be nailed to a cross. And on that cross, he cried out in the agony of his soul, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What was he doing? You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he was not only feeling the physical punishment and the physical pain of nails being driven in his hands. We find Jesus in Gethsemane praying to the Father, Father, if it is possible, let this cut pass from me. In John chapter 12, verse 27, we hear Jesus say, My soul is deeply troubled, but what can I say? Spare me from this hour, for this hour came I forth. This is the hour for which I was born. My mind, my emotion, and my will is deeply troubled, because I know that if I go to the cross... I will have to incur in my body that which occurred in Adam. And I really don't want to do this thing. Father, is there another way? And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I want you to know That as long as I live, I will not, by God's grace, forget the cross and the agony and the penalty and the punishment that Jesus bore for Walford Thompson on the cross. Because he bore my punishment, I go free. The hymn writer says, because my sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, and God the just is satisfied, condemning Him to pardon me. So Jesus was obedient to the Father in going to the cross. We hear him praying in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He said, Father, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. I have given them your word. I have taught them your word. Not one of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. I have done the work that you gave me. To do, I have lived a life of obedience to you, our Father, my Father. Obedience, as the life to which God has called us, as we gaze upon the cross, as we lift up the cross, we must decide in our heart that we will walk. In obedience to God's word. And when God says go. We go. Because he's commanded us. And we like Jesus. Who died on the cross. In your place and mine. So that we might be forgiven. So that we might pardon. So that he was separated from the father. Might bring us to the father. Now if I wasn't in a Presbyterian church. I'd get a hallelujah from you for that. Glory to God, we who are afar off, has been, we have been made nigh. We were strangers, have been made citizens. Paul, in writing to the church in Philippi, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we look forward anxiously for the return of our Lord, who will change our lowly bodies into His glorious body, into a body like unto His. And the scripture says, Beloved, We see your glass darkly, but then face to face. We do not know what shall be, but this one thing we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is because of his obedience. We now have access to the Father because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The cross speaks not only of obedience, it speaks of sacrifice. <laughs> I want you to know that going to the cross wasn't easy. And you know why it was particularly difficult? Because Jesus knew exactly what going to the cross would mean to him. You know, it's one thing for a person to get into a situation when they're taken by surprise. You've heard about the things like that. And people have done amazing things. Supernatural things. And they give them the title of heroes. Because when the bullets were flying over their heads. They were so shaken up they did not know what to do. And they did things that if they had time to think about it they say. I'll never take that chance and ruin my life. I'll never take that chance of getting killed. I'll never do that. Jesus knew it all. The whole picture was clearly laid out before him. He knew that he had to die in order that we might live. He knew that he had to become sin in order that we might become righteous. He knew that he had to die in order that we might live. He knew that he had to suffer. Oftentimes, when I speak in missions, conferences, and people's children respond to God's call, and they're going to go to the mission field. I've flown all over the United States to answer the questions of concern, parents. And especially if their granddaughter is growing, or grandson. You know, you can touch it, take the children if you want to, don't touch my grandkids. There was a lady in Pennsylvania who didn't talk to me for years because she felt that I was responsible for the taking of her grandchildren and sending them to Haiti. Let me just say a little word to you here. This is a little aside and I'm going to wrap this up. When we tried to get insurance coverage for her two grandsons, The insurance companies looked at their medical records and says, where are they going to? They're going to Haiti. No doctors, no nurses, no clinics, no hospitals, no medicine. Uh Ah, we don't want them. Not at any price. So they won't insure them. Guess what? These two young men went to Haiti and spent four years with their parents, and enjoyed better health in Haiti than they enjoyed in the United States of America. Let me say this to you, my friends. God may choose for some of us to suffer. And as John Piper says, not only will some of us suffer in the cause of Christ, some of us will actually die. Die. And you look at Hate and you say, How can this happen? And we look at the cross. And we say, "Uh Aha, God offered up his beloved Son to die that we might live. He suffered. An excruciating death. He suffered the humiliation. He suffered the loneliness of being separated from the Father. He suffered the consequences of your sins and mine. So what are we talking about? And people call me to Pennsylvania. They call me to Carolina to talk about their daughter or their son going to the mission field. And one of the questions that they ask me is, is it safe? God has given me a pat answer for that. It is pat, but it is biblical and it is true. That the safest place on planet earth is in the center of God's will. <laughs> there is no place that is safer. We are not protected by the armies. We are protected by a sovereign and all powerful God. If you are in the will of God, nothing can come into your lives. Unless God allows it ultimately for our good, his glory and the advancement of the gospel. Hallelujah. You're invincible. <laughs> No matter where I go, no matter what I do, if I'm in the will of God, I'm protected as long as God wants to protect Walford Thompson. Because what God allows to come into my life is ultimately for my good. It may not look like it's going to be for my good now, but ultimately it will be for my good and it will be for His glory and the God advancement of the gospel. Are you seeing Haiti like that? I hope you Christians are looking at Haiti and interpreting what has happened there in the light of the truths of God's word. And you're not like the pagans. You're not being pushed into the mold of the world and questioning the acts of God and the permission of God. Because we know that God is sovereign, but we also know that God is good, that he's not capricious, that he's not vindictive. And the nonsense that has come out of the lips of some people, that Haiti has suffered this tragedy because they have given themselves a country to Satan Is absolutely unadulterated nonsense. In fact let me tell you something. If you want to be encouraged for missions. Go to Haiti. It will knock your socks off. To see the hundreds and thousands of people. From every walk of life who gather on Sunday mornings to praise God, to adore God, to magnify His name. Last Sunday, a Haitian pastor with a megaphone stood up in the market square. No air conditioning, no lovely buildings. The people are outside. And he said, my brothers and sisters, God is not finished with Haiti. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because the cross not only speaks of the condemnation of men, it not only speaks of the righteousness of God, it not only speaks of the suffering of Christ and the obedience of Christ, it speaks also of salvation, the deliverance from sin. It is a means by which all men come to know Christ as their personal Savior. It is a means by which we can draw nigh, so that the Scripture says, but as many as receive Him, the Lord Jesus, to them He gives the right, the authority, to become the sons of God, even to those who believe in His name. Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice. They know Me. They follow Me. I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. For my Father who gave them to me is greater than all. And no man can pluck them out of my Father's hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We secure in Christ. By his payment on our behalf. On the cross. we stand amazed at the foot of the cross with the love of Christ and we are called to lift up this cross. Let me close by reading some words of a hymn that I believe should reflect the attitude of our hearts today. Hear the call of the kingdom. Lift your eyes to the king. Let his sun rise within you as a fragrant offering. How that God rich in mercy came in Christ to redeem all who trust in his unfailing grace. Hear the call of the kingdom to be children of light with the mercy of heaven, the humility of Christ, walking justly before him, loving all that is right, that the light of Christ may shine through us. Hear the call of the kingdom to reach out to the lost with the Father's compassion in the wonder of the cross, bringing peace and forgiveness and the hope yet to come. Let the nations put their trust in him. King of heaven, we will answer the call. We will follow bringing hope to the world. Filled with passion. Filled with power to proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. Are you ready? Are you packed? And are you ready to go? Bow your heads with me. We'll close. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, he died that you might live. Today, you can have forgiveness. By trusting in Jesus. Is there someone like that in this congregation? You said, Brother Walford, I've never placed my faith and trust in the finished work of this Jesus Christ who died on the cross, and I'm doing it this day. Raise your hand so that I can see it. I'll remember you in a word of prayer if there is someone like that. Is there anyone, anywhere? Raise your hand so that I can do it. I'm scanning this congregation And you're saying, I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior today. Someone, anywhere. You hear this day. I see a hand. God bless you. God bless you, ma'am. Let me take it down. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Take it. Someone else. You're trusting Christ as your Savior today. This is Mission Sunday. We're reaching out to the lost. God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand. Praise God. Someone else this morning. You say, I'm trusting this Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord. God bless you. I see the hand of a little child. I have a daughter who is a, who is a wife of a PCM minister in Jackson, Mississippi. She trusted Christ at the age of four. And God has kept her all of these years. She is now a pastor's wife. I'm going to ask those who raise your hands, will you come down and meet me? I want to have a word of prayer with you. Will you get up from where you are in your seat? Will you come, please? Come now, don't wait. You're trusting Jesus as your Savior. The little child over here, will you come? Come, God bless you, ma'am. Some of you Christians who are here this morning, you want to come and stand with these folks and let them know that you're happy, that they're trusting Jesus. Put your hands together as this lady comes. Praise God. (laughs) Lift up the cross. Lift up the cross. Others of you raise your hands. You come too. You come. Come to Jesus. There were others. You come now to Jesus. God bless you, my sister. God bless you. Praise God. Someone else. You raise your hands. You come. There were others. You're not bold enough to come. Come on. Won't hurt you? It will be a date that you'll be able to look back on your life. On the 31st of January, 2010, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as I heard the Word of God preached about the suffering of Christ and the cross. I wait just for a moment. I'm going to talk with you in a moment. Is there someone else here? Is there someone here today? And he said, Brother Walford, I've heard the challenge of all that the cross means. I'm willing to follow this, Jesus. Wherever he leads me, wherever he sends me, wherever he, whatever he asks me to do, I will do. Because he deserves it. And he desires it. Is there some Christians like that you said, I don't know where, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I'm willing to follow Jesus Christ in full-time missions, either here in the States or wherever he should send me. Is there someone like that? Will you come and join us right now? Some of you like that. God has spoken to your heart this morning. And you say, I'm willing to go. Wherever he leads me, I will go. You come. God bless you. Someone else this morning, God bless you. You come, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. Wherever he leads, I will follow. Wherever he sends, I will go. There is someone else this morning. And you're saying, I'm willing to go, Brother Walford. Don't know where. Don't know how. Don't know when. I'm willing to go. You come. Let us stand together and I want you to come. God bless you, you come. Praise God. Others of you come. Others of you come. I will serve him. I will follow him. I will live for him. I'll go wherever he asks me to go. I am willing to go because he's my savior. He's my Lord. And if it calls for suffering, I'm willing to do that too. As he gives me the grace and gives me the strength. Is there someone else who will come? Right now, we're going to close the service in a moment. God bless you, brother. You come. All these black people coming up here. (laughs) You all better watch out. (laughs) When you get to heaven, we're in the front of the line. God bless you, brother. Come. Come. Others of you this morning. Will you come? Saying, I'm willing to go. I don't know where Pastor Joe is going to ask me to go, but I'm willing to go. God sends me, and I'm going to go. I'll follow my master, someone else this morning. I wait on you just for a moment. So I'm willing to go wherever he leads me. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to follow him. I'm willing to serve. And I'm willing to die. God bless you. Oh, it's precious to see these children come with all of their lives in front of them. Our Karen was four years old, as I mentioned. I was on the road. Her mother was having devotions with her. And she said, I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life. She never forgot it. She went through high school. She went to university. And now, as I said, she is serving as the wife of a PCA pastor in Jackson, Mississippi, and God is using them in a mighty way. She said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. God bless you. Someone else. God bless you, sir. Someone else. Right now. I know it's been long. You don't have me about every three years or so. <laughs> you can stay with me a little, a little while? You come. You're saying, Lord Jesus, I'm willing to follow you. Bow your heads with me in prayer. If you're unwilling to come. Father, there's some of you there in this congregation. Would you raise your hand and say, Brother Walford, remember me in prayer as you close that I'll be obedient to the call of God. God bless you, sir. Someone else, God bless you, ma'am. Someone else, raise your hand. I'll pray for you. Same Presbyterian too, you know. God bless you. I see your hand back there. God bless you. Some of you young people with your lives before you. say, so I want my life to come for God. I'm willing to serve Him. Someone else. Raise your hand so I could see it. We're going to pray in a moment. Someone else. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hands. Our God and our Father, there is nothing that is hidden from you there is nothing that is no unknown to you. You've told us in your word that when you put forth your sheep, you go before them. You lead us. You undergird us. You protect us. You provide for us. You enable us. And you use us for your glory. We thank you for all the hands that are raised. We pray that you will seal in their hearts the decisions that they're making this day to follow you wherever you lead them. And Father, for those who've come for salvation, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will do a good work in their hearts, that you will seal the decision that they're making this morning, that though I know that as far as the east is from the west, so far hath you removed their transgressions from them because of the cross of Christ. We thank you for them. Seal their decisions with your Holy Spirit. Even now. We pray in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Praise Jesus. God bless you, man. God bless you, my sister. Walk with God. Stand strong with Him. He'll take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. God bless you. God bless you, my brother. God bless you. God bless you, my brother. I'm getting up a loader Yes. God bless you. Praise God. Brother Joe, or is pastor Joe,